Welcome to Politics and Bros. This is the podcast where two guys who spent their careers on the inside of federal politics are now on the outside and only have each other to talk about how things are going. Today is April 15th, 2021, and this is episode 36. I'm your co-host, Pete, and with me as always is my good friend, Howell. Hey, buddy. Happy tax day. Oh, man. I thought they extended it. They did. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank God. I bet it would, would be tax day, or as I like to call it, Vax day. I got, I got my first Pfizer oh, shot today. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where did you go? Um, so yesterday at like noon, I got an email from Northwestern that said, nice. you're eligible. Um, click this to schedule your appointment now. So I clicked it thinking, okay, it'll be like, you know, weeks away that it'll schedule. And then it brought up all these times this morning, like literally 40 times, like every wow five minutes at Northwestern. So I picked one this morning and drove down there. Uh, I mean, if there's ever a evidence of what Americans can do, if they put their mind to something, I mean, this whole vaccine thing is, is evidence of, you know, I, I mean, I think America is going to end up vaccinating the world because, yeah. Um, because we've just, we've got it going. We've got it 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 works. America. Um, I, I went I I swear the whole thing took me like 20 minutes and yeah. that included that included the 15 minute observation time. Yep. So anyway. What uh what what did they give you? The Pfizer. Pfizer. Were you tired today? I wasn't. Afterwards? Oh, okay. I, I had about I don't know about after maybe like 30 minutes I had like two or three instances of like a quick shooting pain in my arm. Hmm. Um, but like That's a muscle a pain, oh, <laughs> it's making its way, it's making its way to my fingers. Um, but yeah, been fine so far. So I think this, I think at this point I'm probably in the clear. What did, what did you get? Pfizer. Okay. My second dose is any? a week from tomorrow. Did you experience any, any fatigue or arm yeah. soreness? I had a, I, I had a little bit of a headache, but I think that might have been because I just didn't drink water and I was a little dehydrated. But I was I was fatigued. You've, you for, always get headaches. That's true. Um, I was fatigued for about thirty six hours afterwards. When Maura got it, oh. um, she was fatigued for like that day. She went to bed like super early. She went to bed at like eight p.m. Um, and she was fine the next day. But it felt like everything was kind of moving half steps slower than normal for me. It was just odd. But um. Certainly, you're just from a, a weaker gene pool than me. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It's, I feel bad. A buddy of mine, all the, uh, one of my buddies from DC, that, he was he was about to go get his um his first dose or no first second dose, um and he got diagnosed with COVID the day before. Um, you can't get it, so, and then you can't get it. So he was like, I was brushing my teeth, and I realized I can't taste the toothpaste. And then he's like, and then I uh, was using mouthwash and I realized I couldn't taste the mouth yeah. wa- mouthwash. And he said, and then the next morning I was making breakfast. I couldn't smell what I was eating. Mm. And, um, but that was it because he had had the first dose. So it was, you know, much more mild. And mm-hmm. I think the, it, the stats came out of all the people who have received full vaccination. So, you know, the two doses of Moderna or two doses of Pfizer or even the one dose of J&J, um, mm-hmm. only five 5,400 or 5,500 of those yep. got COVID after the second dose or after they were fully vaccinated. I have it right here. Hold on a second. Yeah. Um, I thought that was I remarkable. Was talk- I was just talking about it with someone today. Um, 
Because I don't, I don't know what we're up to today. How many people are actually fully vaccinated at this point? I haven't looked that up in a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're getting about 3.5 million. Are we over 100 day. million at this point? Maybe not fully vaccinated, 100 million. I can't find it. Learn but more yeah, about it's like It was like, it was like 5,800 um, out of everyone that's been vaccinated uh, got COVID. And it was like one in 110,000 chance yep. or something. Something very, very small. But that's pretty, so, that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, really I, 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 again, I think this is, this is an example of what America can achieve yep. when, when we, you know, put the weight of our government and, and commercial sectors focused at something, you know, it's, it's kind of like World War II in a way. Yeah. Um, so we've had, anyway. We've had one hundred and one hundred ninety-eight million vaccines administered. Now that's not full vaccination; that's right. at least a dose. But, but still, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, the first dose I think you know protects you like over a majority of the time from COVID, yep. right? So, yep, it's like seventy percent um, efficacy. Yeah, with the first one across, and then once you get the second one, it's basically like. 95% and then even if you do get it you you don't experience symptoms or it's very mild right so so yeah I think pretty it's great. amazing I mean, yay yeah. science <laughs> we here at politics and bros are <laughs> advocates for science mm-hmm. um, and uh, unlike some people yeah Republicans hey um your folk. I, it's uh, you know what I have noticed though is that there's a lot of people that are now they're no longer referring to it as the GOP. They're referring to it as the GQP. Yes, for I've QAnon, seen that. I've seen that a yeah. lot. Not so much yeah. like in media or like on you know newspapers, but definitely in like social media on Facebook and yeah. Twitter. Um, I think it's kind of funny, but yeah. Uh, I did see where Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, speaking of Q, mm-hmm. um, uh, challenged. Uh, AOC to a Green New Deal debate, that would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. To watch. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think of. I don't think of AOC as this like intellectual powerhouse, but I think she would still wipe the floor with Marjorie Taylor Green. Oh right. Well, she'd probably actually do research, and Marjorie Taylor Green would be doing pull-ups. So, um... <laughs> I saw that video. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive. The lady's in good shape. I mean, good for her. But. It... Yeah, that doesn't uh, mean she should be representing Americans. No, it's true. Um, well, you want to talk about some news? Yeah, let's get into let's get into a little bit of news. I'm going to pull up my my little cheat sheet here. Um, let's just start. Let's start with the with the with foreign policy. We haven't done okay. that in a while, and uh, the news that we're going to be pulling out of Afghanistan. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So, what have you been reading? What 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 do you uh, what, what what can you say about that? Well, I think. So they're trying to learn the lessons from uh, Obama's Iraq withdrawal, right? Mm, right. And so they're setting they're setting up uh, they're trying to set up a network of basically using drones, um, long distance uh, attack um, strike capabilities, and surveillance networks and sources inside Afghanistan, so that they can provide a, a modicum of security that will prevent something like uh, post-withdrawal Iraq from happening, which, as everyone is probably aware, 
is how ISIS formed, right? Yep. Um, whether I think the jury's out on whether or not that will be successful. I think there's many prominent military uh, minds who who think that that's that's maybe wishful thinking. Um, that nothing replaces being there in person. Yeah. Um, so, and that, you know, the Taliban will probably gain a majority of control of the Afghanistan within several years, yeah. whether or not it controls the big cities is to be determined. Um, there's a lot to it. I, I you know, I think one thing, When, when pulling out of Afghanistan, I think essentially at the, at any point until is, is it's a it's a failure, right? Like we yeah. we 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 were there to our first mission was to root out um, Al Qaeda, which we did. Right. But then our second mission was to inst- install some sort of government that would be. Uh, pro-Western, you know, have some sort of... Um, to remove the Taliban and put in a pro-Western or more stable. I'm sorry. Yes, government. right. Yeah. Um, and and to that would have some sort of respect for human rights, um, some sort of <laughs> openness. Uh, and after nearly 20 years, um, you know, the only reason that exists there is because the 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 U S is, and it's a NATO mission, right? But right. The U S right. is, is the lead force there. Um, the only reason that it's still there is because NATO and the U S or the U S and NATO are still there. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, I, it was the forever war. It was at one point, it was the noble war. Um, it's, yeah. it's been going on so long. It's changed iteration so many times. The endless um, war. The endless war. I, I mean, we had to get out at some point, right? Um, what kind of criticism and, if they're going to if they're going to transition to this more drone centered or drone focused kind of strategy there now? I mean, it, it's not really ending the war, though, right? I mean, it's funny to watch. It's not funny, but it's um, you know the libertarians lose their mind that now we're just going to be droning people from you know thousands of miles away instead of actually having troops on the ground. So, what's the difference? Quite frank, you know, it's, and I think that's a fair question. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm of the mind that you really shouldn't remove troops or at least all troops at, at all. It's just too unstable of an area, but that's not really a realistic <laughs> solution either. So I, yeah, I, just, I think th- there's no real answer. There, There isn't. It's, I mean, it's an impossible choice, right? Um, I think probably the Trump administration probably got a lot of grief for suggesting a pullout probably because they didn't really make plans because they didn't really like to do hard work. Um, they were just, well, they were negotiating with the Taliban apparently. And we, that, that apparently, well, they said there it was, it was working, but I don't know. Clearly it didn't. I mean, yeah, it's, I think, I think the Obama administration proposed negotiating with the Taliban and the Republicans lost their shit. And then Trump administration, then the Trump administration actually did it and now right as of 
this week when Biden announced it, the Taliban said we're no longer negotiating until everyone is pulled up. Because why would they negotiate if, why would if they a know? withdrawals? Yeah, if a withdrawals on the horizon. Um, I mean, the the. I think we just have to accept that the Taliban will have a role in the future of Afghanistan. Yep. Um, it's going to be Pakistan's problem. Um, you know, I think yep. one thing I did read is that. Uh, pulling out of Afghanistan will allow us to be harsher on Pakistan and also more uh, partner better with India because it's caused a lot of strain with our Mm -hmm. relationship with India. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I think this had to happen at some point. America couldn't continue spending $50 billion a year in Afghanistan in perpetuity. Uh, you know, if it, if they'd waited another five years, would it have been much more stable? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Um, I did, I, I did think it was funny that, of course, it, it, in a way, the way they announced this was very much a a throwback to politics of before Trump, where he announced on nine eleven we're going to be pulling out <laughs> our troops from, or all troops will be gone by nine eleven. Like, because that's the logical use, closure. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like way to use um, that symbolism to make a political point uh, when it really has nothing to do with anything going on, especially, um, you know, 20 years down the road. So I don't know what, I mean, do you have thoughts on it? Like, I I, I mean, I don't know that it's good. I don't know that it's bad. It's just something that's happening. I mean, talk to me in two years, and maybe if it's there's another ISIS going on, we'll be like, "Oh my god, that was a terrible idea." But I don't know right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I've always kind of considered myself a little hawkish when it comes to our defense policy. So I'm, I am certainly skeptical that things are going to go well. But then again, you know, it'll go well if you pull out. But then again, they're not really going well with us there anyway. <laughs> um, so. I don't know. I think I'm in the same boat as you that it's, you know, time will tell, we'll find out, but you know, it's probably not going to make a big, a whole lot of difference one way or the other, unfortunately, except bringing, bringing the guys, you know, our, our troops home. And like I said, it's probably, we're just going to be waging a war from thousands of miles away using, you know, teenagers basically on an Xbox, you know, flying yeah. missions, but 2,300 American servicemen died in Afghanistan And I mean, I know people personally who've died in Afghanistan. Um, And so you do think like, gosh, did they die in vain? You know, I don't, I mean, what what were they there for? Um, And it just, I, I, you know, I think the, the, the era of aimless wars like that is probably over for America. Yeah. Um, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, you know, going into Afghanistan in October or November of 2001 seemed like the right thing to do. I mean, yeah. I certainly was behind it. Yep. Um, but maybe we should have been more clear eyed about what our purposes were there once we sort of rooted out Al Qaeda, just, you know, give the Taliban a stern warning and be like, yeah. yeah. I, don't know. I think back to um and you know when Russia invaded Afghanistan in the 80s and you know we waged a covert war to 
push out the Russians. And there was an opportunity at that point to rebuild Afghanistan. And of course, you know, since it was a covert war, there was no investment, real investment by the United States post Russians or Russia leaving. Um, and we should have learned from that. And I don't think we really did this time around. I mean, and we've I, done a lot of investment in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I we'll mean, see how long, it sta- how long it stands, though. But, yeah. I think I read something about the most of the 50 billion we spend. Uh, every year in the defense budget for Afghanistan is goes to sort of investment in Afghanistan. It's not necessarily uh, troops or tanks or whatever. It's yeah. it's mostly. So um, I don't know what what's the what's the old phrase? Never get into a land war in Asia. <laughs> um, I mean, Afghanistan's technically Asia. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm kind of skeptical like you, like I got, if, if, if it turns into, um, just a internecine civil war, that's going to be terrible for the Biden foreign policy. Um, but, uh, I would imagine they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't think, if they thought that was going to happen. So we'll see. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck on that. Yes. Um, move to a little domestic uh, news out today. Uh, the introduction of a bill to pack the Supreme Court, being pushed by our good friends in the Democratic Party and the bipartisan, actually bicameral. It's a House and Senate uh, effort. Um, nothing. Did you, you know, read so- the? I guess have they actually written the legislation? Uh, I don't know. I, I I'll confess I have not read. If they have, I have not read it. Um. You know, okay. but they are talking about increasing it um, four more seats, correct? Yeah. 13, yeah. Yeah, to 13, um, which I think is curious because, you know, it's not about balance. It's about having one more than one more liberal than <laughs> conservative because right now it's, you know, 6-3. They want to make it 7-6 liberal. Um, but, you know. We'll see how all that goes. I find it I find it interesting though because one of the things that keeps on coming out and it's I've, I I researched it a little bit. Um, you know, uh, that a vast majority of decisions by the Supreme Court are nine nothing. <laughs> They're not these five four. Not everything is an epic battle um, between the justices. That's that it's always on party line or on ideological lines. Um, so that's kind of that's a new talking point that I haven't heard on packing um, on court packing and. Uh, yet so um, well as we were talking about before we came on air this appears to be purely a something that some of these democrats can take back to their mm-hmm. uh districts and say look what i tried to do because pelosi has said we're not going to vote on this at this yep. time yeah well because you know president biden's got the executive order that he just signed that basically it's a it's a study on what to do they're gonna you know Court packing is it's the whole judicial system or judicial branch, which I think is little getting into violating the separation of powers, but whatever. Um, and court packing is another thing they're going to look at if that's something that's viable or even a good idea. But she's going to side. Pelosi's going to side with the president and basically say we need to let that play out before we we jump it jump to any um, real votes on something like this that is probably going to be pretty detrimental to them in the midterm elections and she's a very political person and she's acutely aware that that's something that could 
harm their prospects for 2022 and maintaining the the uh, majority in the house yeah uh i think we're up we're both on record as saying this is part of that you know one of those moves that could backfire that is is purely a political move that the country needs to get away from um it's a tit for tat uh and that um neither of us would like to see this happen it would just increase polarization it would just increase legislating mm-hmm. from the bench um so the, i mean i think the good news at least i heard is that it's it's pretty much dead on arrival at the moment that's not going to stop the republicans from uh clamoring about how the democrats want to pack the court is it i mean you know mcconnell's gonna love this oh yeah oh this is he he lives for this um it's. Just, I mean, it's because I think I don't. I don't know who else has gone on. What other justices have gone on the record? I know Breyer's said that it's a bad idea. I know that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was alive, said it was a bad idea. I don't know if any of the other justices have actually weighed on weighed in on this or willing to weigh in on it. But um, I think it's one of the few. It's it's probably the only branch that actually has that's not underwater in polling in terms of public approval or public opinion. So I, I have a feeling that something like this is going to really drag it down in the mud with Congress and with the executive. Um, can they, can they engage in court shrinking? <laughs> sure. Shrinkage. Shrinkage. <laughs> and um, they get to pick which, which, which justices get removed. Yeah. We're, we're taking it down from nine to five and all three of Trump's nominees go. <laughs> Uh, that would go over well. That would go over well. But yeah. I mean, it's one of the few that it's it's the only non-political branch, honestly. I mean, because, you know, I think they all respect each other as colleagues. They all work together. I th- you know, we heard about the famous, you know, Scalia-Ginsburg uh, mm-hmm. friendship. Uh, and that's not, that wasn't um, a rare thing. I kind of feel like that happened a lot um, on the court. So it's, I don't know, I I. I worry about dragging this into the political arena and blowing up either way. It could blow up on the Democrats. It could blow up on the Republicans too. I mean, it just, it all depends on who overplays their hand um, the most. Mm-hmm. Something that we can sit back and watch with some popcorn. Speaking of overplaying their hand. Ooh. What's the next topic? Uh, I hope I, I hope we're on the same page here because I'm a little worried now. That I don't know. Out. You have several things on there that I think you we could do. go to. That's an overplay of a hand, or perhaps could be construed as that. Well, I did. We I was asking this question of: Is the mainstream media trying to bury prominent Trump Republicans? And I would say yes. Not that there's not that some of these targets aren't you know don't deserve it. I I, I think. You you say is the mainstream media trying to bury prominent Republicans? I think it's. I would amend your statement to say are elements of the mainstream media trying to bury. What's prominent Trump what's the difference in your mind? Uh, <laughs> well, I think the two the two um, examples you have here: mm-hmm. sixty minutes and CNN. Uh, are a lot different than the Atlantic, um, the New York, well, the oh. Washington Post, okay, 
um, you know, Washington Post, uh, the the Economist. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think you're you're lumping perhaps more visual uh, sort of infotainment type outlets in with the larger media eco ecosystem. So that's why I would just say elements of the the media. Well I, mean, I think because because if you're if you're including all the media, then part of the media is also trying to um you know take down Hunter Biden every day. And you know, so like mm-hmm. um you could you know what you know what I'm saying? Like there's obviously the right wing media as well that's trying to do that. So I guess you're saying mainstream. So I'm saying I'm I'm saying mainstream, like the the primary, like the networks and and you know the the larger cable news networks as well. But like 60 Minutes is a good example with with the uh, whole Governor DeSantis in Florida and Publix being a mass vaccination um, provider uh, in the state and how he accepted $100,000 in campaign contribution whenever that was. And there was a quid pro quo, which I'm sorry, but like a hundred grand to a campaign is nothing these days. And obviously maybe might get you a meeting, but isn't going to get a whole lot of decisions good to go in your favor. But um, you know, the way that 60 minutes tried with innuendo and very almost pretty much no evidence to support what, you know, their premise um, ran a story and it's 60 minutes, which is supposed to be one of those, news shows that are the gold standard of of journalism and you know the only other time and it's been compared to a lot of is you know dan rather and president bush's uh military service when basically he was fired from cbs for putting on a fabricated story so and that was a 60 minutes it wasn't 60 minutes the main show was whatever that offshoot that they had for a few for a couple years that existed 60 minutes two or something or another 60 minutes whatever it was called i forget um but it's like you know when you do that you when you're sloppy like that you amplify the person that you're trying to take down and now i think governor DeSantis, i think it's fair to say that he is if if trump's not running in 2024 it's it's he's going to anoint somebody and that somebody's going to probably be Ron DeSantis. Um, and Ron DeSantis, I would say, is a better version of Trump. I think, I think, I think DeSantis is better at politics. I think he's better at moderating his message while still saying the same things as Trump. Um, and I mean, it's he's made questionable decisions during the pandemic, but it's the gambles that he's taken have seemed seemed to have worked. To some extent, um, you know, they're not worse off than New York. They're not worse off than California. And it's, you know, that that too only bolsters his his credibility and, and amplifies his, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, his star, I guess, and the rising stature. star. His stature. There you go. Um, whereas with the whole thing with Matt Gates. And, and whether or not he paid for sex and transported a minor he, across he definitely lines. paid for sex I, he probably did it's you know i don't like matt gates i think he's a i think he's a piece of piece of shit anyway but um, we're on record calling him a butt plug yes yeah uh, that's true i did in a previous uh, you i remember when you texted me like you realized you said this and now it's been published <laughs> and i said yeah whatever it's fine um but it's come out that that girl was not underage and but but that narrative is still being pushed and there's the whole 
and we discussed this before we came on, but James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, who did that kind of sting operation with that director or producer, whatever it was, technical director from CNN saying, you know, this, we need to do this to help out the Democratic Party. We have to go after people like Matt Gates and Donald Trump to combat, you know, their so-called propaganda with our, you know, basically their propaganda to take them down. And it's, you know, that's one guy I, who knows if that's a systemic thing at, at CNN. Yeah. It, it probably isn't, but it still amplifies this narrative that props these Trumpian Republicans who aren't real Republicans in the first place up higher and gives them a bigger platform. And that's what drives me nuts more than anything. A couple of things. Um, first, uh, a technical director um, having worked in television has no editorial. Sure. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're, they, they basically run the show. Mm-hmm. They, they like make sure it hits the right timing and, and rolls the right tape at a per- yeah. cer- certain time. Um, the other thing I wasn't clear on uh, when I read the summary of the Project Veritas uh, was when he, when it, they never show that he is speaking, when he says we, um, they never show he's, he's referring to CNN rather than just maybe saying he as a Democrat um, sure. had to do this stuff. Yeah. So um, uh, we were talking about this before. I, I'm, personally very skeptical of anything Project Veritas does. They've been known to use sort of uh, vague editing tactics to make, to kind of push their point. But to your larger point, and especially with 60 Minutes, um, you know, ideally how a story may benefit or hurt a politician should not be a factor in any outlet's decision yeah. to to or how they run the story yeah it they should be presenting facts and news um and offering the opportunity for the subjects to comment on record mm-hmm. um and then representing those fairly uh to the audience so you know like you said it kind of backfired the 60 minutes hit piece on DeSantis and made him sort of a, more of a victim and, and propped him up amongst the the right. But again, that shouldn't, shouldn't really matter. Um, what the news media, what 60 minutes ought to do at this point is issue a clarification, like a, in proper journalistic standards and give the full context for what was said, provide the whole the whole quote that DeSantis gave yeah, um, and focus on being the best journalist they can be and not whether yeah. or not they are um, helping one side or the other. Yeah. And by clarification, you mean a retraction? <laughs> well, I, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen the, the piece, yeah. but my understanding well, they, was they, that, they that, that they left out. Right. And they didn't, and they did offer a follow up, but they didn't, retract any part of their story right or which the they should they, have is my which, point which for, and which yes which at the very least they should give the whole context and perhaps even offer a a retraction and um but again it shouldn't have anything to do even if they did that DeSantis has already 
got his political oh, yeah. fall from this story. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just mind boggling that, you know, leave it to 60 minutes to basically make, make DeSantis out to be this bipartisan competent governor. Cause he had, you know, a couple of the Democrat or uh, county county f- officials and maybe even a mayor too. I can't remember both Democrats like out there saying, yeah, this story is bullshit. And DeSantis actually did this really well. And it's you know, like, how did 60 minutes just botch that so bad that made him look like this really competent, you know, executive, quite frankly, of, of, of a major state. Um, and well, so. it wasn't, it wasn't a story by Morley safer or, or any of their, right. Um, their main lineup. It was Leslie Stahl. Or... I, I, right. I had never heard of the, the woman who, yeah, who was the lead on the story. Um, so maybe, maybe that was a problem. Um, yeah. but yeah, uh, again, I, I just think that, um, just because you report bad news about someone doesn't mean you're out to try to get them. Um, but there are instances where people do get hard ons for a certain story and push it and perhaps yeah. get over their skis a little bit. And it does, like you said, it does a disservice to, to them, um, and to their credibility. And then. You know, if the person is in fact a douchebag who is a bad person and a bad uh, executive or a politician, you've only made them stronger by doing yep. that. So you do no one a disservice. You do no one a service when you when you when you um, conduct yourself in that manner. Yeah, it's. I mean, and to your point about the whole CNN Matt Gates thing with the technical director, I I totally understand that and I get that that that's the role of a technical director. But what? 95% of the population doesn't know that. And right. that's so, you know, and I'm sure Project Veritas knew that and they played that's they that's why they were so fine with going forward with it because they're not gonna know what the hell a technical director does anyway. They just, they just have a guy right. from CNN on record saying that, you know, they want to trash people like Matt Gates. But it's um hopefully I was gonna say yeah. we need we need the Duck family to listen to this segment and Quinn can comment on the CNN part and Jen can comment on the uh, journalistic part, yeah. journalistic standards, and then we'll get back to you with whether or not we we were we were spot on in this segment. Yeah, <sighs> it's going to be interesting. It just makes me. Do you want to? I start getting you know the anxiety about twenty twenty four of what that's going to look like, and who is going to emerge as um, the heir apparent to to Trump Republican Rep- Trump Republicanism. Well, did you see Nikki Haley this week when she was asked? I've seen. I haven't. No, I haven't. I don't know what she said or what she was asked. So, um, but I've seen a lot of her face on just when I've glanced at the TV or, or social media. What what happened? She was asked if if she would run in twenty twenty four if President Trump was going to run, and she said no. She oh, she not. said no. Right, right. Which is funny because. Uh, uh, an old colleague of mine from the Senate days, uh, Amanda Carpenter, who's a, she works at the Bulwark and she, um, Mm -hmm. I think she's a commentator. MSNBC. Is she MSNBC? MSNBC, I couldn't remember if it was hers, if it was there, CNN, but she tweeted, she made a tweet and it was a good point. She was like, have you ever in your political life seen somebody clear the field by the, you know, they cleared the field uh, of themselves in in favor of another candidate? Like that just doesn't happen in presidential politics. Um, Wait, what did she mean there? Um, that 
you know, people who are have been talked about as you know twenty twenty four or the next for the next cycle of presidential uh, campaigns have removed themselves. So they're they're essentially doing oh. doing Trump a favor by going ahead and clearing the field for him in anticipation that he's going to run. Um, which there's always somebody who's even if it's like an incumbent, there's always somebody who talks about running, um, mm-hmm. even if they're not serious about it. But um, right, it really it? really could be Biden versus Trump again. Yeah, really. Are. Although, you know, who knows if Biden will run? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, I'm not convinced if if that election happens again that Trump doesn't win. And yeah. Imagine, imagine that we'd have a we'd have a good podcast on our hand for the, another four years. That would be yeah, plenty to talk about. <laughs> plenty more to talk about, but um, yeah. we'll see how that goes. Uh, that's all I really got, man. With news and like topics, okay. um, I don't know. We're going to talk about infrastructure someday. Yeah, right. Yeah, I do. You know, we did have that slated for this one. Talk about infrastructure. What does it mean? Is it going to become another you know Christmas tree bill? Where you know, right now it's at two trillion dollars, but is it or two point eight trillion dollars? Is it going to keep ballooning from there? Um, there's a lot going on about tax policy. Um, I don't know if you saw today, uh, Congressman Nadler from New York is against the estate tax. He's against capital gains tax increases and against something else like, oh, that's because, you know, all your Wall Street donors called you and said you better take a stand right now. Um, something I assume Chuck Schumer will do the exact same thing. Um, and Manchin, Manchin has said he does not want to see the, the rate, the corporate rate go up to 28%, which is what it was before the t- tax Trump, the Trump tax uh, cuts. Yeah. Um, I, that I used to be, I mean, obviously as a Republican staffer and I did tax policy for a few years on the Hill, it's, you know, I, I agree that we need to have a, much, a more competitive corporate tax rate, but there is the risk of, of the race to the bottom. Like, you know, you, the USA might be, you know, top 10 for the lowest corporate tax rate one year, but that doesn't mean all the company, all the countries behind us aren't going to lower it in the following year. And then all of a sudden we're at the bottom of the list again. Like, that's not that's no way to structure a tax policy so um you know i'm not saying i'm not endorsing anything that that secretary yellen or you know or president biden has said but i'm just it's that's something that needs to be examined if the republicans are going to have a serious conversation about what corporate tax rates do and what they mean and how they actually provide revenue and whether or not there's going to be corporate tax loopholes finally closed so that big massive corporations like amazon aren't paying you know the lowest rate possible and nothing uh, um it's yeah i mean i think republicans need to decide if if they want infrastructure yeah and then if so as of right now they don't want to raise spending to to do it but they also don't want to raise revenue so um i don't know how you're going to do that you're definitely not going to cut enough to get through that. So it's why you um, never actually saw an infrastructure plan or a healthcare reform plan during Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was comical. Every every week, Trump was like, "Oh, my health can healthcare plan." It'll be out, out in two weeks. weeks. Yeah, two weeks, and then <laughs> you know, the joke at the end was the joke like on January nineteenth was like, "I don't think we're going to see Trump's healthcare plan." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but same thing for infrastructure. Well, there was all this talk that you know there was going to be every big, week was infrastructure week. Yeah, every infrastructure week, the Democrats were going to go to the Oval Office and sit down with Trump and hammer out a plan, and that shit just never materialized. Um, 
it's well, and and I think well, it's for the reasons that you that you cite. I mean, the, the issues with revenue and and uh, how much you're actually going to want to be able to spend because um, you're never yeah. going to get agreement on that. Yeah. Well, when they roll out more details, we'll we'll cover it more. We'll cover that. I'm, I'm particularly interested in some of the the more in 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 or new ways that they're thinking about looking at corporate taxes. Um, I heard something about uh, trying to set like a, a global rate, uh, with, with a bunch of countries, mm-hmm. um, yeah. world bank, um, yep. something like that. that I think that so, was Janet Yellen. She had a op-ed in the wall street journal that talked about that. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if that's the right way, but I mean, mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but yeah. I'd be interested to dig into it. So yeah. I just know that we can't, conti- we can't continue this race to the lowest rate possible because sure. you end what, up at zero. We end up at zero. What's the point? Well, much like Trump's infrastructure week, our infrastructure pod will be coming in several weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So that's about it. That's about it, man. Uh, are you into anything? Um, yeah. You know, I thought about, I thought about being into throwback baseball jerseys. Um, <laughs> have you seen some of these cool? Like, did you see the Braves jerseys? I, I love it that they're. I mean, I love it that they're wearing the the, uh, the Hank Aaron era, you know, seventies, yeah. yeah. mid seventies uniforms because I love those. Exactly. Uniforms. There's a lot them. of great ones out there right now, but yep. um, I decided rather I'm I'm into live Pixies albums on Ooh. a Spotify. They've released two live albums from their 2004 reunion tour. Um, nice. As many of you may know, I'm a huge Pixies fan, and um, set lists are great. The audio is pretty good. Mm-hmm. The band sounds good. It's just like great, just like walking the dog music and rocking out. So, um, one's from Minnesota, and one's from, I believe, Winnipeg. But uh, you can find, if you go on the Pixies page on Spotify, you'll see them. So that's what I've been into this last week. What about yourself? Um, I actually texted Quinn this from his from when he was on the podcast, and he was uh, rattling off bands to listen to. And I've been listening a lot to the last uh, Future Birds album. Mm-hmm. And it is really, really good. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. shocked at how good it is. And I haven't, I haven't listened to any of the older albums. I'm, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm kind of enjoying this one that came out last year. Um, and um, I love just, it's a lot. I hear, th- I hear my morning jacket in it, but it's a lot more country kind of mm-hmm. c- country rock to it. And I just, I, it's great to listen to with the windows down driving around. I just, I think it's a great record. So that's what I've been in, been into the last uh, couple of weeks since we had Quinn on the pod. Um, I, I listened to yeah, a couple my, of the other ones he he rattled off. Um, Silver Synthetic, um, I thought was not my. I I didn't like him as much, but I can see why you know Quinn likes him and why people would like him. But um, just trying to discover new music as much as I can. There's a lot out there. Yep. But all right, buddy. All right, man. Well. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Follow us on Twitter at Bros Politics. Listen to us on Spotify, uh, Apple, and Amazon. And we will go to the casino at some point. When we do Infrastructure Week. When we do Infrastructure Week. Or release our healthcare reform plan. Yes. (laughs) All right, man. Later. Have a good night.